I'm Jeff Eichler. And I'm Kirsten Rickert. And we are the hosts of the Getting Unstuck podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast. This is where educators can come to find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. We have to have empathy for teachers and the amazing job they do and the vulnerability that is the observation processes. Hey, Leader of Learning. When it comes to professional development, wouldn't you want to save money and choose PD that meets your needs? Midwest Teachers Institute offers the most affordable, state-accredited graduate courses on the market for salary enhancement, state certification, and continued education with no hidden fees. With classes designed by professionals active in their field, you get practical tips to help you improve what you do best. Sign up for a class and see why they truly are teachers helping teachers. Visit MidwestTeachersInstitute.org and enter the coupon code LEARNING at checkout to save $30 off your first course. That's MidwestTeachersInstitute.org and coupon code LEARNING. All right, Leader of Learning, I have an exciting guest here, Craig Randall, who I think uh, has an amazing idea for a new book coming out. And really, uh, and we were just actually talking a little bit before we hit record here, somewhat of a disruption at a time when I think education in some ways, uh, for all intents and purposes, is starving for some disruption and and really what no better time. Uh, and, and we'll talk all about that in a minute. But Craig, I'm happy to have you here. And uh, before we get going on talking about all that sort of stuff, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? I, I understand that you are a former school administrator, so you've probably been in this game for a while, but who you are, where you are, and what do you do? All right. My name is Craig Randall. I live in Tacoma, Washington right now. I've had a really varied career, I think, educationally. I started out as a school counselor, elementary level, did a year of middle school in the classroom with kids that all had severe behavior disabilities. They'd all but one been adjudicated already. It was crazy. Um, I coached along the way, had a chance to do some college coaching. And so I detoured and did seven years of small college basketball coaching. And then my wife and I decided to fill in a lifelong dream and we went overseas and started teaching overseas. And I got my administrative certificate. And then we worked our way around from Poland to Korea to the Middle East to Brazil and back here. And I wrote a book. That's that's awesome. And and I didn't realize that part of your story that you had been overseas and certainly not to that many areas. And I'm wondering, even before we get into sort of the, the meat and potatoes here, uh, what are some of the things that you noticed about the different education systems? Well, we were at international schools. And so you're definitely following a Western American style education system. I'd say the IB is much more popular there. Like there's no AP for the most part. Korea had it. Um Certainly, you could throw out broad stereotypes in terms of maybe rote memory and more of the Asian and then having to build the students into the inquiry and creativity. Um, But really, I think kids are kids. It was maybe more diverse for sure, Uh, but school is school. 
Hmm. That's really fascinating. Uh, a little while back, I did a, an episode with Taru Clavel, who has become somewhat of a, an expert and an outspoken advocate for uh, really American schools trying to emulate um, what, what schools around the globe are doing. And uh, so I, I am interested to know uh, what other areas do. So that, that's really cool. Uh, now, to get into what I know we wanted to discuss here, uh, which is basically a, a different approach to teacher observations and evaluations. What I wanted to start talking about, though, first, before we even get there, and, and to build up to it a little bit, is this idea of trust, because I know you're really big into it. And, uh, you know, I have a little experience in, in uh, you know, being a school administrator. You probably have much more than I, but I know how important that is, not just from my lived experiences, uh, but also from my own research as well. Uh, and, and in my research on leadership practices to inspire a growth mindset, I know that that was an underlying theme in, in my research and some of the other research that's out there. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how, like, what is it about trust? How do we get there? And, and why is it so important? It's pretty simple to me. I mean, I wouldn't say I knew this all along, but discovered it through the practice that I accidentally developed. But when teachers trust, when anyone's willing to trust, we're w more willing to be vulnerable. Like I think Brene Brown talking about vulnerability. So if I'm trust enough that I feel safe, then I'm more willing to take a chance on something big to improve or innovate my practice. And it helps build growth mindset, just like you're talking about. When the trust isn't there, and I definitely argue that the current models inhibit trust instead of building trust, then people have a tendency to pull back and play it safe. All right. I don't want to, I can't go past that without coming back to it. You made a pretty big claim there. You've, you, and actually, I'm going to come back to another bold claim you made in a, in a couple minutes too. But uh -oh. you basically just said uh, that the current model really, and I'm, I know I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit, but basically the, the current model does not do a good job of allowing uh, leaders, school leaders, school administrators to be able to build trust. And I guess I'm just going to ask why or why not? I think there's two main reasons I came across my research. And I'll say this, I did the research as I was writing the book because I'd already developed the metal, but luckily I found things that supported it. So one, there's a man named Matt O'Leary, who's a researcher and university professor in the UK. And he did a whole bunch of qualitative research that found that as soon as you start to evaluatively grade or rate, because I know some people will say, well, I'm not grading them. I'm just putting them on a developmental scale, but it doesn't really matter. It's perceived as that, that people stop taking risks. They play it safe. And they, so that's one big thing. And then the other thing is the Gates Foundation had a seven-year, $200 million study to develop a more robust teacher evaluation process with the hope of improving uh, teaching, learning, and graduation outcomes. Seven years, $200 million. At the end of 2008, there was a RAND report that said there was no sustainable, measurable, significant improvement. It's not that it's not well-intended. It's just these things get in the way and cause teachers to play it safe. And, and it's just not doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? Let me uh, flip flip the coin a little bit. And, yep. uh, you know, this is not one of my devil's advocate episodes, but let me just play devil's advocate for a Fair second. Yep. Um, students, 
Unfortunately, yep. what we know, and, and I have not done this research, but uh, I, I do know that there are some experts out there who will say that, unfortunately, students are, or st- a lot of students are driven by, motivated by those kind of quote unquote rewards like grades. Are you saying it's the opposite for for teachers? Uh, you know, is there a difference? I would say a couple of things. I think research tends to say that teachers aren't driven by monetary. We all want to make a decent living, but they're not driven by that. So those ideas that are out there that will give somebody a a bonus if their students achieve a certain score, not even getting to the ridiculous if you don't teach one of those two subjects of literacy or math. So that doesn't drive teachers. So I mean, I think O'Leary's researchers would say it actually causes them to pull back. And I'll even extend it further and say, if we think about the model of how we're supposed to give the best feedback to kids versus and compare it to what we're doing with administrators, it's a huge hypocrisy. I'm really glad you brought up that word feedback and we'll come back around to that as well. And the other bold statement you made, which you kind of touched on here, so I won't really ask you specifically, but when when, you, when we emailed back and forth to set up this interview, what you said, and I think backing up the statements that you've just made is, in a nutshell, research makes it clear that observation models as they currently function are not improving teaching and learning. And I think in my opinion, uh, back me up here, uh, one, of, one of the reasons why is exactly what you just said. Because I think that when you put grades and, and ratings on an evaluation, what tends not to happen, or at least not as much as it should, or at least not as effectively as it should, is that feedback piece. Am I right? So the way the feedback tends to work now is it's me as the observer just feeding you and giving you all your ratings, all the different pedagogical category, and then telling you things to get better. I'm not saying that people won't touch on strengths, but it's just human nature when we hear the things at first that we're being told aren't that good of a score, we tend to not even hear the good things because I'm so focused on the stuff that, oh, I wish it would have done better and realize that's one time out of what percentage of teaching. So it just, it gets in the way. People don't pay attention. I'll say just real quick, jumping ahead, maybe a little, like the reflective conversation is where the trust is built. It's not in the observation itself, but the first two questions I always ask are first two things. I come into your room so you feel safer. I ask permission to have the conversation, and then I make sure I sit beside you, not across from you. I let you look at the feedback form and watch me type as I do it. So I'm doing everything there to set up trust and transparency. But then I always start by asking, what were you doing to help students learn? And if you had the chance to teach the lesson again, what, if anything, might you do differently? So instantly, what am I doing? I'm not telling you. I'm asking. I'm listening. So you feel more valued as a professional. Well, I'm also sending the expectation that reflection is a part of practice. If I were, this is the uh, this is the teacher in me. If I were to look at like a Venn diagram, right? And you got your, your sort of traditional old school observation methods. And now you have this idea that you, you've written a book on, it's it's coming out soon. You, you've done this research on trust-based observations. What are the big differences? Okay. So we eliminate the pre-conference observation because we want it to be authentic. And it's it's just human nature. If I know you're coming in, even if I'm really, really great, I'm still going to put a little more effort in. It so, kind of eliminates the dog and pony show it, aspect of it. I, mm-hmm. I believe so. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they're shorter, they're 20 minutes. The list of checks for uh, pedagogical areas is only nine. Research says when there's more than 10, I lose the uh, teaching looking for the individual trees. So it's manageable, measurable. Uh, we have a student interview in there to check for learning targets. So it's short. We have follow-ups the next day. It's continuous too. So there's a very set pattern. My wife always says, you've systematized it. There's 12 observations a week, three observations, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three follow-ups, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, follow Friday. And so you're, you're just continually working through. And then by asking those questions, uh, let me add one other thing that builds trust. The first three visits definitively, I will only notice what I saw. And we don't rate. We just notice what we saw. So it might not be the highest level, but it's evidence of up. Granted, sometimes you have to search harder for them. I readily admit that, but not that often. And so I ask those questions. I share what I saw as strengths. What ends up happening frequently, really over 50% of the time, is by the end of the third one, sometimes sooner, they'll start saying, okay, 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 but what can I get better at? So at that point, you know they're starting to trust you and feel safe. You've talked genuinely about things you saw that you liked. I'll add to that, as you're going in so much over the course of a year or years, you really start to know who's really good at what. So then you can start to empower those teachers and connect that to your PD too. All that together, it builds trust. I also think it builds up uh, something that is, is still lacking in, in the traditional observation and evaluation model and really in professional learning in general, which is an individualization and differentiation that we're Thank asking you. teachers to do for students. But still, I'm, I just, in my personal experiences, I don't see enough administrators doing for teachers. That's a great point because I think that's exactly what this does. Each different, each teacher is different. Each strength that each teacher has different. One of the things that I think I've discovered just being a, an observer so much is there's way more than one way to be an amazing, excellent teacher. I've seen teachers that are lecturers that are not very good. I mean, I'm sorry that are really, really good. And it seems a little more traditional, but they've got things like relentlessness and heart for kids. And and I've seen teachers that are all kinds of other things too. But each teacher, we can work off of their strengths. I originally called it strengths-based observations before I realized trust was really the core of it. But building off of those, then we can work with each teacher to help them get better, whatever that might mean for that teacher. I was wondering as you were talking, is there maybe one aspect of this this model, as you call it, that's potentially more important or more valuable in terms of that trusting relationship that would be most effective for a teacher? In my building a relationship with a teacher? And, and having that teacher trust you, in ter- the, the ob- observer, the administrator, in terms of really helping them to be a better educator. Is it the feedback or the, uh, the reflective conversations afterwards? Is I mean, it- for sure, the trust is built in the reflective conversation. Everything that I said that goes into it, even the little things about asking permission, sitting beside, letting them see as I type so it's transparent, even if they're saying things in non-pedagogical pedagogical language, changing it and making sure that meets with their permission, all of it, listening first, asking the questions, 
all of those things are the pieces that build and being patient. Like people will want to, when I've worked with some people before, like they'll want to start giving feedback right away. It's like, it's okay. I mean, there are exceptions for safety, obviously, and when you have really deep concerns. But I just think the whole process of the reflective conversation within the framework that I set that I set out. Yeah, no, that's really great. It, it actually reminds me quite a bit when you said, especially the piece about asking more questions and being patient before offering suggestions or, or really giving some of that critical feedback. It reminds me of a book I read and a blog post I wrote. And I think I even may, may have uh, done a podcast episode on the, called The Coaching Habit. And, and essentially, uh, to boil down all the ideas in that book, it really comes down to just asking more and more questions and, and just really um, allowing for that reflection to happen. And essentially at the same time, like, you, like you've said quite a bit, is building up that trust. And, and so the teacher does not feel like you're forcing anything upon them, doesn't feel like you're trying to take over. They take ownership of their own learning. And I, I think that's what you're getting at here as well. It's that teacher being in the quote unquote driver's seat of their own professional development. I mean, I think ideally we'd like them to discover the area that maybe we see as the one they liked. And sometimes with questions, you can get them to identify it. But even so, by saying, hey, would you like to hear a suggestion, asking permission, that matters. And I'll tell you, sometimes there's teachers, and you can feel teachers that have been teaching, particularly to stereotype, longer, where I'll wait. I'll wait up to literally an entire year. By that point in time, like I've given you a fair game, but if I sense that that reluctance is there, then why push it before it might pull them back? And the other thing is, I think in some ways we look at traditional models or even the model that I'm talking about, we see teachers so little. What if I don't see something the first three, four times that happens to be a strength? I just didn't say it then and then offer suggestion in that what happens to the the building of relationship then i think it gets just it's just hard to build easily destroyed yeah um if i if i may play devil's advocate one more time uh, (laughs) what about administrators out there who would say i I don't how how do i how am i going to find the time to go into all these teachers classrooms this often or Teachers yep. or teachers unions who say, uh, excuse me, Mr. or Mrs. Administrator, you're not allowed to be in my teacher's classrooms that often. I'll tell you, I think one of the ways that I was able to build the model was being in international schools where there's more flexibility and you're more like a speedboat instead of a big tanker. And so I I think there will be issues with that at, per, at first. And so I think in areas, well, let me touch the time piece first. So if we're saying the visits are 20 minutes, that's three a day. So that's an hour. There's planning time, so like an hour and 15. And then the follow-ups are in roughly an hour each. So that's saying Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's two hours. Monday and Friday, it's an hour. I think we have that time. And certainly we do now when we're not having to put out the fires. And when I would argue that teachers could use our support more than ever. Um, but in terms of the the unions and and the the unions part, yeah, that's going to be a thing where uh, hopefully we get early adopters or people that really buy into it, and we can get admin superintendents and principal supervisors that can talk about piloting a school. I think when teachers start to feel it, it feels so much more positive, encouraging. 
that they'll embrace it and go for it. But I agree, those are issues to be overcome potentially. I have to say that, um, uh, you know, I'm going into, I'm just about to start my 15th year in education. And I think at this point, I've spent just as much time, if not more time, out of the classroom than I've spent in, in, in either uh, some sort of a coaching role or, or even um, for, for a bit an administrator. And I do think that teachers much more often than not are very willing to allow people to come in and, and visit and observe, especially if, of course, especially if they've, there's that trust that's been built up between them, but also especially if uh, the teacher knows that something like tangible is, is going to come out of it. Um, and, and hopefully that something tangible is like you've already talked about those kind of reflective conversations or at the very least, just some kind of idea for them to build on, even if there is a little bit of a criticism in there. Um, you know, again, like over half my career now, and I could probably, I can definitely count on one hand and maybe even just a couple of fingers, how many teachers have, I, I think have been resistant to having visitors in their classroom and, and observers. And I think if you add to that, when you do offer a suggestion, you're prepared to offer the specific ways you're willing to provide support, whether that's an article, a book, hooking up with an expert teacher in your building or sending them to a training or whatever that might be, then you're also showing that it's totally about support and growth, not about critical and catching you bad, doing bad things. Yeah, I agree. That's huge right there. And uh, it. It takes time, right, to build that trust. I think, you know, the first couple of times you come in a classroom, I, I don't think it's there yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that's the idea of visiting more often than not. Uh, as we start to wrap up here, I definitely want you to, uh, you know, to plug the book and, and talk about the book. We've already talked a lot about the ideas that, of course, you've put in there and some of the research that have led you to this model of trust-based observations. Um, I'm getting excited about the book, and, and I, re- I have read that you uh, have been in- endorsed by people like John Hattie, Michael Fullan, Carol Dweck, John Gordon, among others. So um, it's it's building up some steam, I think, already. And um, I think it is, you know, you and I discussed uh, before hitting record that the notion of, I, I think I put the term out there, sort of a disruption to the uh, observation models that have existed, traditionally speaking. Um, and I think there's no better time than right now to, to really, you know, buck the system and try and disrupt the system because, hey, COVID's done that anyway. But anyway, uh, talk, <laughs> talk to us about the book and, uh, you know, some of the ideas that, that you're looking to, to get across. Yeah, well, thanks. It's called Trust-Based Observations. It comes out on September 15th with the paperback. The ebook and hardback are available now. You can get them on Amazon. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I think we've talked a lot about just the general, very broad outline of the model. But I think if we think about like teachers and even the model of observation, what other job in the world does somebody, someone, you don't go into the coffee shop as the manager, pull down a chair, a laptop, watch the barista make coffee for an hour, evaluatively rate them on things, and then give them back feedback, which could potentially influence whether they're employed there. So I think 
like part of the emphasis of the book is we have to have empathy for teachers and the amazing job they do and the vulnerability that is the observation processes. And it's about teaching and learning. And I'm convinced from my own personal experience with this, teachers will make amazing strides in changing in big, innovative ways what they're doing that influences teaching and learning. I don't even want to go much farther with this because one of the things you just said there, I think is the golden nugget in everything that you've said. Not that the rest wasn't important, but you literally said these words. It's about teaching and learning. And isn't that why we got into this profession? Not because we want our kids to learn, but because we want to continue to learn as well, to learn how to be great at what we do so we can make our students great at what they do. And I think that was absolutely priceless. Uh, and, and if and when I get around to, to taking a clip of this episode and putting it out, the audio and the video, that, that's definitely what I grabbed because that was, that was absolutely gold. Craig, I really thank you for your time. Uh, congratulations on the book and, and in advance, I guess, of, of its official release. But uh, I think the idea is great. Uh, and, and again, as I said a few minutes ago, I think there's no better time to, to try new things, try and disrupt, try and uh, just get out of old bad habits and into new ones that, as you just said again, really will not only emphasize but improve the teaching and learning process. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, where can people connect to you? And, and of course, I'll have links in the show notes to uh, to where they can purchase the book and all that. But if they want to connect with you, do you have a website? Do you have social media? Yeah, I have www.trustbase.com. Um, or you can email me at craig at trustbase.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Craig Randall. And I'm working on getting better at the other social media stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, again, all those links to uh, Craig's website, the book, uh, the social media that he's working on, all that will be in the show notes for this episode. Uh, this was, as my friend Brad Schreffler, who is also a fellow podcaster, says, sort of a podcasting blind date. Uh, we had not met before, but I'm glad that we that we connected like this. I think it's a great idea. I'm sure it'll be a, a great book when it comes out officially. Uh, just thank you so much for, for being an awesome guest on the show. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate what you're doing because you're helping to get out word and spread the word on improving teaching and learning too. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning.